0: radically transformed from being somebody who was resistant to Jesus' messianic purposes to being somebody who became a leader in the early church. Somebody who began to remind people, you need to submit your life to Jesus. It is by him you are saved. And we know that James became a leader in the early church. He became known as Old Camel Knees because of the amount of time that he spent on his knees in prayer to his half-brother, the Son of God, lifting up the early church. And he led that church along with Peter and many of the other early disciples and apostles until his death in about 62 AD. He was killed by stoning because he was unwilling to renounce his trust in Jesus. That says something about how strongly he believed this. And so, in spite of the fact, by the way, that James easily, as he's writing this letter, could have said, James, brother of the Messiah, or James, leader of the church in Jerusalem. He takes a much more humble approach, which, as we'll see as we continue through this letter, is indicative of the heart that he's calling Christ followers everywhere to adopt. He says, James... A servant, that word servant there is diakonos. It's the same word that you would use for a slave or a bond servant. It is really difficult to change our attitude on our own. In fact, attitude is perhaps the most important aspect of our trials. The trials are going to come one way or the other. It's our attitude in them that we have any sort of influence over. And as my wife loves to remind me, attitude is the difference between an adventure and an ordeal. She typically reminds me of that when I'm having a bad attitude, by the way. Um, I I really like uh, the way that Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian psychiatrist and uh, neurologist who was also a Jew and lived out the Holocaust in a concentration camp. Watched as his fellow brothers and sisters were worked like animals. Like they were simply beasts of burden. Watched as their names were stripped from them and instead a number was branded on them. And watched when their bodies finally gave out, they were fed like fuel into a fire. He watched that. And when he came out of that and began to walk with others that had endured it, he ultimately wrote a book called Man's Search for Meeting. And in this, he describes what he learned about suffering in the midst of that. And he writes this Everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms. And what is that human freedom? To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. So what is James driving at? You can't necessarily avoid trials. They're going to come. What you need to focus on is your attitude in it. But that's really hard to change. And I have caught myself plenty of times saying to one of my children, hey, change your attitude. Parents, does that ever work? (laughs) It's hardwired into us to say it, but does it actually work? Not really. In order for our attitude to change, our perspective needs to change, doesn't it? We need to see the situation from a different perspective before our attitude towards it really has any chance of changing. And James recognizes this, which is why on the heels of saying consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you see that these these trials that you're enduring are producing perseverance, and in the long run they're producing maturity so that you can be complete not lacking anything and on the heels of that he then says this if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask god who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you now he's not changing the subject here he's not simply talking about wisdom in the general sense of god make me smarter god give me a better you know outlook on all of life he is talking specifically about wisdom that can help us recognize what's going on in the midst of our trials and our circumstances and what he's saying to us is if you lack wisdom on this if your perspective seems overwhelmed right now and it feels like you are simply suffering and there's it is meaningless and you're just like god where are you in this that is a wonderful question to ask. God, where are you in this? What are you doing? I don't understand this and I don't like this and I don't want to be here and I don't want this to be my reality. This is not what I would have chosen, but God, give me wisdom. Show me what, you're, what you want to do in and through this. Show me how you would want me to respond to this it continues on but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the lord Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Now, I will confess to you. When I read that, in light of the series we just did, where I was basically advocating it's okay to ask your questions, it's okay to have some doubt and to wrestle with it with God, I started going, have I misled our church? Because on the surface, James says... Do not doubt. But again, context is utterly imperative. It is the key to understanding what James is talking about here. Because what James is talking about is the trials we endure. And when we get to the point where we're overwhelmed to ask God for wisdom. And so what he's saying is, listen, when you find yourself at this point where you're enduring something and you go, I can't go on, then ask God for wisdom. Bring what you're feeling to him. Confess that you lack perspective and ask him to help you see your circumstances through his eyes. In short, as I talked about earlier, it's like a chair, right? What is faith? Faith is saying, God, I have a lot of questions, and I'm not 100% certain, but I am going to choose to lay my questions down and rest in you and put the weight of my fears Firmly into your hands and trust that you can hold me up. And the beautiful thing about faith is that it does not stay simply intellectual. When we actually rest in him, suddenly our faith gets strengthened because we realize he can, in fact, hold us up. He can, in fact, give us the strength to persevere just for one more minute, one more hour, one more day. And tomorrow he gives us the strength to persevere through that day. And we see, as we look over the tapestry of our lives as we, as we have followed him, that he has actually redeemed some of the short-sighted decisions that we have made. We've learned through them. We have grown stronger because of them. And when, I, when he suggests that we bring our questions to God or at least bring a request of God, give me wisdom, because I have reached the end of my understanding. That is precisely what we've been advocating that whole series, is come as you are and be honest with God and entrust your questions, entrust the limitations of your understanding to him. But, James would add to that, when you ask for wisdom... Don't doubt. He's not talking about doubt in general. He's talking, again, about doubt of the answer that we get. Do not doubt that God will answer, but also don't doubt the answer that you receive back, the perspective that you get. Because here's the temptation. To a fool, everything is foolish. Or I love the way that Proverbs 18 puts it. Do we have it up there? There it is. Proverbs 18:2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. In other words, if you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you in this, and I trust that you're with me. Give me wisdom. Show me what you want to do through this. And at the same time, you're going, God, you better do it my way, because this is messed up. And I know way better than you. That's basically tantamount to taking a second chair and saying, God, I want your will, but I also want my will. And now trying to kind of (laughs) somehow, right? I got this. And and, 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 and in some moments we're kind of this. I'm leaning into this cheek. I'm good. And then in some other moments I'm like, no, God, I think I, I know better than you. And you're just going back and forth. And you realize very quickly that this is unstable this isn't a very good way to go through life because when things are going fine oh god i trust you you're so good i love this doesn't feel no uh uh uh, no god i just don't know if you're even there i don't even know if you have any do you care and this is how a lot of us go through life this by the way is what james would call double-mindedness I want what you want, God, but I really want what I want. And I'm holding on to both of those tensions. Okay? So it's, it's one thing for me to talk about considering life and the brokenness of life and the trials that we walk through pure joy because we know that it produces perseverance and that ultimately leads to maturity and, and, and a fullness of who God has created us to be. And when we lack perspective. We can ask God for it and he'll give it to us. It's one thing to talk about that generally. It's, a, it's another thing to see what this actually looks like played out in real life. And so in order to give some flesh to this, I've, in, I've invited my friend Jeannie Massengill to come forward if you'd come up here. Huh? Um, Jeannie is not only hello I I don't know hello That that, that yeah, whatever. <laughs> it may or may not no. be on. Go ahead and grab a seat.
1: No. Yep.
0: All right. No. So, yep. Yep. just quick backstory. Jeannie, for this last year, was about a year ago now, was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. Third time. Third time. Sounds like a trial. And I have, because she's in the office, I have had the uh, honor to get to watch her walk through the chemotherapy and all of the things. And I have watched as God has used her cancer to turn my sister into an even more beautiful uh, vessel for God to pour his love out into other people's lives. And so I, I just would love for you to share with us how what we've been reading in James has been fleshed out in your life as you've walked through this journey.
1: Well, first off, I am very honored to to have been chosen to be up here because I know that there are many other members of our church that have gone through trials and tribulations and have come through the other end of it. Um, so a year and a half ago, I did get a call from a radiologist saying that the um, mass was malignant, and I was on my cell phone at work. And uh, Pastor Eric and Pastor lee harrison were there and i'll tell you something i couldn't have been in a better place to get news like that because the first thing i did was to go into eric's office and he and lee prayed over me and the peace that i felt with that it was just like a a warm flood going over me and i thought okay so now god give me the wisdom to figure out how i'm going to tell my husband and my kids Without totally downplaying it, but letting them know that it's serious, um, he guided me through that. And then I had to to figure out a plan of attack. And at first I thought I was doing it on my own. I wanted to research everything and make all of these decisions. And then I realized that wasn't going to get me anywhere. I had to reach out. And because I was at the church, I had... I had my church family on Sunday. I had my church family on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday through some of this. And then I had my church family on a night when I was in um, our small group. I was constantly reinforced and guided through this. And if I hadn't been there, I know what I would have done because it would have been what I had done years ago, which was withdraw, be depressed, and be isolated. And... Because I chose not to do that, because I chose to lean into God and to trust that he was going to get me through this and he was going to help me with my decisions, I won't say it was a cakewalk, but I will tell you that um, there were even times where Charlie and I laughed because um, I was completely bald last year at this time, and um, our older son called us both skinheads. Um, <laughs> And the other, the other part was that I, I allowed people to help. Um, Kathy Wayman had said, let me get meals delivered to you. And I said, no, 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 we're fine. We're, we're okay on our own. And then I thought, this will ease some of the pressure from Charlie from having to take care of me and bring food. And I was overwhelmed with the love that I felt from people. My families in here that didn't normally come to my house and socialize, they, they brought me food. They fed us. They fed, And when they were there, they fed our soul. They, they, they prayed over us. Um, the strength and the comfort that I felt from all of that, I know that's what allowed me to get through this. Um, we had a tough time yesterday. One of Charlie's friends who um, had been given some bad health news decided that he couldn't handle it, and he ended his life. And I thought, "You know what? I wish that he had reached out to me. I know I' could have helped them. I could have um, now my mission is I have a book that talks about that there 's not one kind of cancer that someone hasn 't recovered from. God is good. He gets us through these things, and um, so my my mission is to is to go through and to try to help anybody that I can with that. It is so much your attitude." As Eric's been saying, when you're going through this, I had, when I was trying to figure out if I, you know, how I wanted to approach radiation, because I had to go through 37 rounds of radiation, and um, I had one friend who said, don't let them put those tattoos on you. You'll never forget what you went through. It's a horrible ordeal. I had another friend who said, every time I look at my tattoos, I know that I kicked this. I know that God and I kicked this. So look at those different attitudes. Same situation, different attitudes. It's all how you reach out and get through this. And the girlfriend with the good attitude was a good Christ follower. And um, there is there is a good story to all of it. Now I, I think I have a better understanding of people in a trial s- situation than I did. Before
0: God has even already started using you to minister to people, can you tell me a little bit about kind of how He's been using that?
1: Um, when my port was placed for the chemo, I was over at a surgical center, and there was the sweetest, nicest nurse, and um, I saw her when I was um, what we call. Getting deported. Um, so the
0: port, the port is where they're putting the poison into your body to try to kill the bad stuff. Um, and so they have to insert that at the beginning of this. And when the chemo's over, they remove it. So,
1: so then I saw Sweet Angela, and she said, I was just diagnosed with um, breast cancer. And it was a very fast, aggressive um, – in six months, it was already in her lymph nodes. And she's a young lady. And um, – so now I go with her to her infusions, and I've shared the, um, the book. And she's, she asked to come up and um, be prayed over. So Pastor Jeff and Pastor Eric um, prayed over her and anointed her with oil. And she sat there, and she told me later, she said, I feel so comforted. She said, I feel so much better after the prayers. And um, so now I go. Um, and I, I go with her to her infusions and I try to take her a little something so it's not, you know, such a horrible ordeal because it's not that the chemo is that bad, but you know that three days later you're not going to be a happy person.
0: I am grateful. Uh, I'm not grateful you've walked through it because I would never choose for anybody I love or anybody I don't love. To deal with it. And I hate the fact that cancer exists. But I'm so grateful to have been able to watch the ways that God has used the kiln of this last year and a half of your cancer to create something. This is my wife, so I can't give it to you. I'm not, but, but, <laughs> uh, she can give it to you later if she wants. But, but basically, this is what God has been doing in your life. And I'm grateful that he now is able to use you to to dispense hope to others who are walking through the same thing because you have been tested and approved so thank you for being one of many examples of considering it joy when we endure trials of many kinds because he really has produced endurance in your life and he has matured you through this and you glorify him even in the midst of this so i love you i love you too we give her. Our... Oh man, we could easily end there. I just have one last thing I want us to share. Go ahead and pull your Bible out for a second, and go back to James one. James is going to return to this question of the trials that we face and the things that we walk through several times throughout this letter. So this won't be the last time we'll talk about it. But in this section, he returns to it one more time a few verses later in verse 12. So go ahead and jump down there. Jeff will touch on verses 9 through 11 next week. But he kind of puts the exclamation point on this thought process in in verse 12 when he says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, under that testing. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When you hear that word crown of life, there's lots of crowns that are, are talked about. We know that we, you, know, you, you have a crown in heaven that we're all going like to lay down at the foot of the cross. That's not the crown I think he's talking about here. The crown that comes to mind that I think that he's talking about here is the laurel wreath, that somebody who endures a marathon and has been successful in pushing their body to the limit and past the line, and they have won, they receive the crown, the laurel wreath on their head as a declaration of their endurance. And we, although we look forward to a crown that we will ultimately lay down in heaven, any one of us who has said, Jesus, I trust you, I place my faith in you, and we've sat down, and we have allowed him to help us to walk through the trials we face, we get to wear that crown now. Because eternal life doesn't begin once you shuffle off this mortal coil. And go to go to heaven to be with them. Eternal life is communion with God. And that begins the moment we say, Jesus, I trust you more than I fear my circumstances. I choose to put my trust in you. I choose to rest in you. That's the crown of life that Jeannie wears, even today. I love that she had to trim that crown a couple days ago. Because it... It has grown back. But it it glorifies God and the hope that she exudes, particularly to people that um, are feeling pretty hopeless. He's broken her heart through this trial. And so, James said that we're blessed when we have persevered under that trial. That word blessed in the Hebrew is always plural. Blessings upon blessings. God bless you. The word blessed is not tied to our circumstances. We are blessed regardless of what we're walking through because we are not walking through it alone. And we have hope. And that hope we wear as a crown. It is the hope that the brokenness of this world doesn't get the last word. And that is what I love. When I Coming back to that that statement that Jesus said to his disciples on the night that he was arrested. And he looks at these guys who have been following him quite honestly because they thought that he was going to be a conquering king that would throw off the yoke of Rome and reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation. And they were sure that he was going to be the new king of Israel. With all the pomp and glory that you guys got to see in the wedding yesterday. That, that's what's coming for us. We get to sit in the nice seats. We don't have to sit outside in the, you know, the overflow section with the Beckhams or anything like that. <laughs> and with Lewis, My wife loves suits, so she was very excited when she saw Lewis. <sighs> no, that's what they anticipated. But Jesus said, listen, guys. In this world... You're going to have trouble. Trials are going to become commonplace. But you can take heart in the fact that I have overcome the world. I love that he was using in past tense what was about to happen because on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty of the brokenness of this world. He defanged the power of sin and death so that we do not have to fear the brokenness that we face even though we still face it even though we still endure it we still receive letters from the IRS we still go to doctors and they say that lump is malignant it's cancer we still have people that we love die we unless Jesus comes back soon which he very well may be but we also will taste death but because of what Jesus did on the cross, death, cancer, pain, brokenness, depression, anxiety does not get the last word. That is the hope that we have in him. And so we continue to run. We continue to put our head down, trusting God, allowing him to give us the strength to get through just one more day. Trusting that tomorrow, just like manna, he will give us the strength to get through tomorrow. And as we do so, we bring him glory and we shine like beacons of hope in a world that is darkened by sin and and discouragement. We get to shine like stars as we hold out the hope that we have found in him. And so as we, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and as we respond today, there's a couple of ways to do so. One would simply be to pour out your heart in gratitude, and perhaps your heart is echoing the words that you see on the screen. Perhaps that simply looks like thanking God for his faithfulness. Or perhaps you want to respond by uh, just getting into a posture S- sitting down might be the posture maybe standing up and raising your hands maybe you want to come and kneel down and there's a lot of space up here or if you can't kneel down because you might not be able to get back up there's some chairs in the front we have specifically left them open for you Because <laughs> the front of the bus is where all the cool kids hang out right <sighs> and, and if you would like prayer because you've been carrying something pretty heavily and you just want like genie like Angie and others have. I just, I don't want to carry this alone. I want to know there are others. Come forward. Or go in the back. Jeff's back there. Fippers, you and Terry come up there. Cat and I will be over here. And if anybody comes down and kneel, you two are on them, all right? In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that That in the midst of trials that we don't want, we wouldn't choose. They are not meaningless. That you, the God who has redeemed us, also redeems the brokenness of this world and uses it. To fashion and shape us into vessels that can be used to pour out hope to others who desperately need not us, but they need you. And we are grateful that you allow us to be those jars of clay that hold within us a perfect love. And I pray that as my my buddy Tom loves to say, may what comes out of the vessel not taste of the vessel. May it taste of you. May we be used to dispense life-giving hope to a world that desperately needs it. Jesus, in your holy name, amen.